Hey, Shira, I have a question for you. Oh, what is it? Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Oh, every day of my life. What about you? No, never. Ah. Never danced with the devil. Isn't that uh is is that the phrasing from um Batman? That is the phrasing from Batman, specifically Jack Nicholson as Batman. Yeah. Also, what a great invocation of the devil. Oh, Jack Nicholson, he's also played the devil too in the Witches of Eastwick. He oh. was a great devil. Yeah, a lot of He was a sexy devil. I think we should get right into it, because we can talk about a lot of good people who have played the devil. Let's do it. The devil made us do it. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. My name's Shira, and I'm a fan of rom-coms. My name is Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies. What's the deal here, Brett? What's going on? Uh, well, the deal is every week uh, we pick a movie, you pick a horror, or I'm sorry. We did that one time, just one time, I one swear. One time. One time, you guys. Uh, you pick a rom-com, I pick a horror, and then we watch those movies. We review those movies, and then we remix the movies. We pitch the rom-com as a horror, and the horror is a rom-com. And it's a great time. It is. And this week, we are continuing our discussion of The Devil, played by Jack Nicholson at one point in The Witches of Eastwick, in our previous movie by Elizabeth Hurley. Who are some other great devils? Uh, well, I think, obviously, we're, we gotta go with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. They both have played Oh, yeah! Robert De Niro was great. He, yeah. you know, that guy could really peel an egg in a creepy <laughs> <Right>. way. <laughs> That's so gross. Um, I, I don't know who else. I think, um, Tim Curry. Tim Curry was the devil in, um, wasn't it Legend? Ridley Scott's movie with Tom Cruise. He was a good devil. I Dave have not Grohl? seen. Wait, Dave is Grohl that the, the one? Devil. Is the Legends movie the movie where Tom Cruise is a clone? No, that's Oblivion. Oh. But uh, Legend is when he's like 19 or something. Oh, super yeah, young. that's right. When he has to save the princess. Yeah, Mia Sarah. Yeah, Tim Curry was kind of like a sexy devil. He was like all ripped and shit too, right? Yo, yeah, he was like a gigantic, prosthetic, giant devil. Yeah, he mm -hmm. was like an animatronic type devil, but it was Tim Curry. Under I'm heavy into makeup. it. Yeah. Wait, when did Dave Grohl play the devil? Uh, Pick of Destiny. Oh, really? Tenacious D, Yeah. Oh, they that's do. a good that's a good movie that has the devil in it as a main character. Yeah, Gabriel Byrne played the devil in uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's End of Days. I'm just looking. I mean, if you go onto Google and type in actors who've played the devil, everyone's played them. It looks like, except for Morgan Freeman. Except for Morgan Freeman, it looks like everyone's had a little stab at them here or there. In uh, some of these, don't a sound little very Paradise familiar. Lost. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, um, 
yeah i just i i don't know i i love constantine so much <laughs> here's a question for you sure. before we before we get into constantly constantine uh who hasn't played the devil that you'd love to see play the devil oh that's a very good question and one that i would like to say um I mean, I'm not going to lie. I really love Benicio Del Toro. I brought him up in the last episode, probably for good reason. I think he would make a great one. But also, I'm trying to think of like an actress who could play him. Me too. And the very first name that's coming up (laughs) is just Emily Blunt. But that's that could just be because I love Emily Blunt. But she probably could have a, a blast in that role. I don't know if it would be a serious or comedic or I don't know. But I think Emily Blunt is just a good actress in the sense that she could take on any role. And hopefully if she were playing the devil, it would be it would make good use of her. I think she's an underrated comedian. I think that yeah. she could play the devil very well in a comedy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I would want it to be somebody who looks so innocent and is kind of known for their purity or always playing faces versus heels. Somebody where playing the devil would be a real career turn for them. Yeah, that would be a good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Anya Taylor-Joy. Actually, that's not exactly out of her wheelhouse. She's already done a bunch of creepy characters before. Yeah, the witch. Who's who's nice and sweet that our only image of them is just their sweetness and their likability? That's who I want to see play the devil. Yeah, I don't know. I um, as we As we go through the movie, I'll definitely have it in the back of my mind twirling about. For sure. So I would say that both of us have a history with Constantine, but you go first. Ooh. Tell tell me about your relationship with John Constantine. Well, it was um, honestly, I was watching like Entertainment Tonight or something, and they gave us a sneak peek at the movie Constantine, and I was only half paying attention because I was like, oh, that new dumb comic book movie that's coming out? Whatever. But then I saw a clip where Rachel Vice gets sucked through this building, and it just looked so unique that I was like, wait, did I just see that correctly? Like, something that cool couldn't be in this movie that I don't care about, right? And then my friend got tickets to go see it. You remember like back in the day when radio stations would have these contests and then you'd get these like passes to go to the movie a week before it came out and you'd have to wait in line because they always overbooked it to make sure it was full. Oh, back in the day, it was so great. Going to premieres was a lot more exciting when we were growing up than I think it is today. And so I got the premiere tickets and so I was like, all right, cool. So I went with me. My friend, my friend's dad, and then don't don't tell Sonia, but my girlfriend at the time. And so then <gasps> a scandalo. Oh, and so then when all four of us came out of the movie, those three were like, that was a dumb movie, right? And they're like, Yeah, that was what? dumb, right? Yeah, that was a dumb movie. So I I wasn't enough 
it, like con- I wasn't confident enough in my movie analyzing and critiquing skills to say that I liked the movie. I was still I was still in my teenage years, so I was like, yeah, that was a dumb movie. But I was thinking, why? Like, why was that a dumb movie? Because all I can think about is how awesome that movie was. Ah, uh, um, you should have come over to my house to watch the movie. The whole family was loving Constantine. Ah, uh, I loved it. But then, yeah, I think as the internet grew and as Keanu's fan base low-key started to grow and build this tremendous undercurrent, like, yeah, I think the internet was one of those places where I could go to and people were like, no, Constantine's a great movie, you guys. And then we have to wait for the rest of the world to catch up. Um because yeah, the movie has come as kind of this like cult classic, kind of like it's kind of gotten its its um its recognition in the day. But also, this is a movie where when Sony and I first started dating, I came home from work one day and I was like, I really just want to sit down and watch Constantine, right? Like it was just one of those weeks I wanted to sit down and watch Constantine. Sonia was like, I want to come over, and I was like, okay, but. I want to watch Constantine. So if you're going to come over, like, I want to do this. And she's like, okay, we can do that. And then I also had to say, like, but I like the movie Constantine. So if you don't like it, feel free to check out at any point. Feel free to go on. Like, I'd, I'd much rather you Sounds go on Sounds like your a phone. relationship test. No, it's like, <laughs> if you don't like the movie, you can just go onto your phone and do it. Like, I don't want though to hear about how bad the movie is because most people think that this is a bad movie, but at the beginning and end of the movie, I mentioned, cause I had it on DVD. I had two DVDs because both DVDs had different special features, which annoyed the crap out of me, but I had to have everything involving Constantine. I told her, I was like, man, it really sucks that I don't have this movie on Blu-ray because this movie is gorgeous. This movie is gorgeous. It is. I actually looked up the cinematographer. It's Philippe Roussel or Roussette. And I I was curious. I was like, okay, what other movies has he done? Uh, One of the movies he did was Big Fish, which is another very visually ambitious movie. And so, yeah, the way that the cinematography is for this movie, the way that it's stylized, the special effects. Yeah. Everything about this movie is beautiful. But then the next day, Sonia came over to my house and was like, hey, here's a gift. And it was Constantine (gasps) on Blu-ray. And I was like, oh. And then I'm sure Talk about real life romance. And then I'm sure me, as like a dumb idiot child who loves Constantine, was like, let's watch it again. Like, no, we just watched it yesterday. Like, okay, fair enough. We don't have to watch it right away. But yeah, so I thought it was really nice. And Constantine is a movie that, like, I don't expect Sonia to love all the movies that I like. But when she watched Constantine, she was like, no, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, this is a cool movie. So, yeah, I I, I love Constantine. I'm mostly just obsessed with the movie. I didn't know anything yeah. about the character until you loaned me some of them books. And... um but yeah, so you can probably speak more to Constantine as a character. Oh, 100%. But I will say, you know, I'm I'm not a huge comic book person and right. I saw the movie first and if 
you came over to the Moore household, you would have been with a group of people who were very pro-Constantine. The one gripe my mother had about this movie was that Keanu Reeves clearly doesn't smoke cigarettes. And so it's the way that he smokes cigarettes in the movie is just so performative and kind of doesn't seem like the way an actual habitual smoker would be constantly smoking cigarettes. And and as a former smoker, I'm t- I tend to agree, but it's such a small part that it's like, who cares if Keanu Reeves doesn't smoke cigarettes well? Also, yeah, he's playing the part of a smoker in that very visual sense that it is a comic book. It's all about posture. It's all like, yeah, he does everything in the most exaggerated way so that it might not look comfortable and natural to a smoker, but it looks super stylish and it makes me want to smoke so bad. However, I really it don't did have make any, me. I don't have any desire to smoke in real life, but I think smoking in movies is awesome. It looks it looks really cool. I I will give movies that. It looks really cool. So I saw the movie first and I thought, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. And then shout out to my older brother Alex. He was the one who said, "Hey, did you know that this is all based on a comic book called Hellblazer? Let me loan you and really, I took them. Uh, let me give you uh, these Hellblazer comics for you to read. And wouldn't you know, today, you have those books that I borrowed from him because yeah. I thought, I want somebody else to read Hellblazer. And I think that that this movie came out way before MCU, way before, way before comic books took over our cinematic imagination. So I think that if this movie had come out 10 years later, people would not have been saying like, oh, that movie sucked or oh, this is just like totally corny because it's honestly the mood and the style that has dominated a lot of you know, cinematic depictions of superheroes today. But again, this is DC. This isn't Marvel. I I feel like, yes, the MCU has done a great job, but I was always a DC fan first. Uh, and it, it was really fun for me to go back and read things like uh, my favorite superhero is actually Swamp Thing. And that's where Constantine first appeared. He didn't even have his own series. He was a side character that appeared in Swamp Thing, which because Swamp Thing takes place in Louisiana, there's kind of some hoodoo elements and stuff like that to it. So Constantine as a demonologist and exorcist is kind of a perfect fit for that world. Um, But unlike Keanu Reeves, who is dark haired and American, the comic version of uh, Constantine is from Liverpool and he looks just like Sting uh, with blonde spiky hair uh, and and he wears a suit kind of like um, Sting does in this one movie like Quadrophrenia, I think it's called. Um, but uh, something I think is an interesting Constantine fact is Alan Moore the guy who created Constantine, and I also think Garth Ennis too, who's worked on some of the Constantine comics. A few of the people who've worked or created Constantine claim that Constantine is real. 
And I think it's Alan Moore or someone who says, I've seen him. Like Whoa. I was walking around London or Liverpool or whatever, and I saw him. So there's kind of this magic to this character where you almost get the sense of like Constantine is a person who could be real. Right. And I think certainly for his creators, they want to embrace that sort of mystique for him. And, and I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you were saying in terms oh, of... Oh, and he's queer. He's bisexual. I've also oh. always loved that about the character. Uh, they kind of straight washed him for the movie and they American washed him and Keanu washed him. But I think that it's a testament to how good Constantine is that it almost doesn't matter that it deviates so much from the comic book origins. I think, again, now that we're into the full swing of the MCU, I feel like if this were a project that were made today, people would be so fussy about it. Like, no, it has to be a blonde British guy. Keanu can't play Constantine. But because it was so new back then to to do a comic book movie and to do it well in the mm-hmm. post Tim Burton Batman era, you could take chances and take risks yeah. and deviate in the way this movie did. But yeah, Constantine is such a great character. Such a great character. But yeah, this movie, you're right. You're absolutely right. This movie does come after Blade and Spider-Man. So Blade and Spider-Man were the sort of uptick of like, oh shit, everyone cash in on superheroes. And so Constantine was kind of a casualty of the cash in. However, Francis Lawrence and the writers and directors and production designers and everyone who made this movie, they made Constantine such a well-established thing that like, you're right. Like, I think it's... It's kind of hard to um, convey, but like uh, James Gunn did this really well with Guardians of the Galaxy, where he just threw you into the world of Guardians of the Galaxy so much that like a talking tree, a talking raccoon, this and that, that and this, all this crazy stuff just felt normal. And what's great about the Constantine movie is that everything that happens in the movie just feels normal. And it's bringing you into the world with it. And you have to like you have to be a smart audience member. You have to have your gears turning to keep up with the world building of this movie because every single scene is setting something up or escalating something in a way that if you stop paying attention and go, well, this is just a dumb comic book movie and maybe it looks fine, but whatever, then you're gonna miss out on all the nuance that makes Constantine Constantine. <laughs> I think you make a really good point. Uh, I think this is another example of a movie that has great pacing. Yeah, It's just going, going, going. Nothing is wasted. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that I hate movies that are longer than 90 minutes. And I tend to think it's so unnecessary. But every single minute of this movie is used so well. And I found out this is a new fact for me. I didn't know this. They cut out a whole plot line involving him seeing uh, Michelle Monaghan. Her character was a devil that he was sleeping with. And if you read the comics, 
Constantine does have a lot of romantic partners and love interests. He's kind of a man whore uh, and he's equal opportunity. Doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl. Um, but in this movie, you know, they completely cut that out and probably saved 30 minutes. So what would have been a two hour and 30 minutes is just right at two hours. Uh, and it does not suffer at all from the loss of that plot line. It makes me feel really sad for Michelle Monaghan yeah. as an actor because all she gets is that one <laughs> close-up <laughs> where she says, holy, holy water. water. <laughs> and you and you don't even get the sense of the betrayal that she must feel because they have this relationship. It's just right. completely swept under. But uh, I don't think it would have made the movie better to have well, her in no, it, unfortunately. I, I, I definitely hear you. You're you're right. That is the right editing. It's just one of those kill your baby moments where, yeah, you had to do it. But also, the first half... So yeah, this movie's two hours. The first half of this movie, in terms of world building, is all uphill. But then when you hit that halfway point, when she gets kidnapped and, and taken and whatever, then the rest of the movie becomes wee of all downhill. Like, we are now using this momentum to give you a fun action comic book movie that also gives you like some Doctor Strange, Dormammu, I've come to bargain, classic <laughs> Classic, like, outsmarted you kind of stuff at the end. Oh, it's great. Should we get into the hijinks? Yes. Uh, I will say that I'm going to be pretty chill during this this recap because this could very easily turn into the Chris Farley show where, remember <laughs> this thing? Remember that thing? That was awesome. This was <laughs> awesome. Like, I could just gush about this movie all day. But I'll save all of my gushing for the scene where the devil does show up because I had a, I had a few movies to choose from the last 15 minutes of the movie, but the devil yeah. has a presence throughout. I will yes. say that, yes. that we, we get a lot of buildup and the devil yes. does not get a lot of screen time, but no. Ooh, does he use it? Cause I was trying to balance between this and another movie where the devil had a bigger part. So I think it was angel heart, right? It was either this or angel heart. Right. And I mean, no, no offense to Angel Heart, but I, I was more excited to talk about Constantine. But I love Constantine. So I, I really, I really did. I, I, yeah. So go ahead. Start us off. Kick us off. All right. So we begin, we plunge right into the plot as in Mexico, we're following the scavenger. He digs up uh, a spearhead that's been wrapped in a Nazi flag at the ruins of an old church. Uh, we later learn that this spearhead is, in fact, the Spear of Destiny, which, if you didn't know, is the spear that killed Jesus. He didn't die just from languishing beautifully on that cross. A Roman came up and stabbed him, as one does. Uh, and then as soon as he touches the spearhead, he becomes possessed. And we get that great sequence where he, he either gets run over by a car or he runs straight into the car yeah, and the car just hits it, him, but he is immovable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, an unstoppable object versus an immovable, or sorry, an, an immovable object versus an unstoppable force. Well, that and, car is not an unstoppable force. Oh, well, that, that force got stopped. Yeah. It stopped pretty quick. <laughs> and so 
We have that to set us up. We go back to Los Angeles. Fun fact, I learned that Keanu Reeves insisted that the movie be shot in L.A., no Atlanta, no Vancouver, not for K. Reeves. Uh, we're, we're going Los Angeles. So a cult detective, John Constantine, he's called by Father Hennessy to exercise a girl that's been possessed by a demon trying to ba- break through Earth. He calls him one of, you know, he's like a demon soldier. Uh, and so we get we get a great exorcism scene within like the first few scenes of the movie he sifts Uh, through his little charms like their keys like a janitor looking for the right lock you know what i I mean? liked that Uh, i liked that a lot just those and the the way the cigarette is out there to show that he thinks it's not going to take very long and then the visual of the mirror and the pulling it this movie is so visual francis lawrence at this point had only directed music videos this is his first feature but you can tell that yeah he's a guy like david fincher who like directing music videos clearly prepped him for how like this movie seems like it was storyboarded to to perfection like this movie seems like everything went right in this movie because it visually looks and like the the visuals compel the story forward but also they're just so stylish Oh, it's great because we have this whole gimmick where in order to exercise the girl, he has to hold this mirror over her head. He tells the people holding the mirror not to look. One of them looks. His hair turns white. Uh, The demon gets trapped in the mirror, but he's still trying to get out. So there's shards of mirror breaking. And then they can't get it out of the window because the mirror's too wide. And then finally they get it out of the window. And who's down below? But Constantine's apprentice and sidekick, Chaz Kramer, who is also his friend from the comic, uh, and the uh, the demon uh, in the mirror falls right onto the hood of the car. Constantine comes out and he's like, I told you to move the car. Yeah, and Chaz so is like, oh, I would have moved it a little more if you told me that was going to happen. So immediately so, we like, establish this relationship. Very uh, – this – this has got to be, I mean, I know that technically the guy in Mexico is the opening scene, but this opening exorcism scene has to be one of my favorite opening scenes of a movie of all time. It's so economical. It immediately shows you that like the Hennessy guy is like, I called you as soon as I couldn't do it. And then he tells him, mm-hmm. hey, just surf the ether for me. Take this thing away. So it establishes their relationship. It establishes how John Constantine approaches exorcisms and his job in general. It establishes his relation with Chaz Kramer. Like, just so much of this movie is established so economically that, like, this opening scene has got to be less than 10 minutes, but already we get 20 minutes worth of information. <laughs> Yeah, again, perfect pacing. And the the summary courtesy of Wiki doesn't get into this, but we also get the introduction to Rachel Wise's character as she has a dream about her sister jumping off of a building. Her sister is in a hospital. She jumps off a building. Uh, before she even discovers that her sister's dead, she knows it because they're yeah. twins. Because of course they're twins. Uh, and then you get the, the plot line that brings her and Constantine together, which is that she and Isabel, devout Catholics that they are, 
she wants to prove that Isabel didn't commit suicide so that she can receive a proper burial. So at the same time that Constantine is wandering around, we get the, they have several meet cutes for a movie that is not a romance where first they meet in the hospital when he refuses to hold the elevator for him. What a dick. Uh, Going and then, down? It, Not if I can help it. Classic. He's so sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, true to the character yeah. origin. Uh, he, he's a sassy guy. And then they meet again in the, um, is it a seminary that she goes to or just a church? I wouldn't know. It just I, seems just, like just a, a church, yeah. It just seems like a like a hangout spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, while... Uh, Constantine is talking to a half angel named Gabriel played by Tilda Swinton. And that shot of the wings coming out has got to be one of my favorite shots of any movie of all time. Oh, oh my gosh. It's such it's a so beautiful cool. shot. It's so cool. And I really loved the way that they uh, made uh tilda swinton look androgynous or yeah she's like she's non-binary before it was cool right i genuinely the first time i saw this movie had no idea if if tilda if the actress who played gabriel was a guy or a girl like i just know i didn't know who tilda swinton was this was my introduction to tilda swinton but i've never been more attracted to tilda swinton than when she blurs the gender lines i i really she's she's the perfect person for this alluring in this movie she's so good oh she's great so so gabriel they get a great character introduction uh and we learn about the fact that constantine He's got lung cancer because he's been smoking cigarettes since he's been since he's 15. He goes to Gabriel asking if he can get basically some kind of reprieve. Gabriel says no, telling him that he exercises demons for selfish reasons and he can't buy his way into heaven, which interesting thing in Bedazzled, you find out that in the contract, there's a clause But the thing I'm thinking is if you actually took the time to read the contract and to know that the conditions for getting into heaven are selfless acts, it suddenly nullifies everything. So the only way that you could actually get into heaven for a selfless act is if you truly don't know whether that act is going to elicit that result. Like, it has to come from a place of non-knowledge and Constantine knows too much about how the sausage is made to make an unintentional selfless choice. Yes, this will come this will definitely come back later, but yes, this is a very it's a perfect setup. It's a perfect setup. You're right. And then he kind of has another weird meet cute with uh, with Angela, but of course he refuses the call to help her. Um, and then he gets assaulted by another demon, this time uh, made out of. Th- this is when he gets attacked by the bug, right? The yeah. the, the swarm of flies, which uh, great special effects for yeah. the time. I think it still looks great today. It does, yeah. And I just love how he like stomps on after the thing gets hit by the truck. He stomps on him and kicks that one crab away. He's like, like, yeah, he's like, yeah, it's just it's such a perfect character detail. 
Like, yeah, screw you, demon. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then this leads him to go to Papa Midnight, uh, oh. played by... Um, Jimon Hansu. Yeah, Jimon Hansu. Thank you. Uh, who is excellent. Such a great actor. And he, every, an- every camera angle utilizes his screen time to the maximum. And he chews this scenery so well (laughs) oh he makes the most of every single second that he's in this movie and another point to this movie's credit i would say that it's a known problem that movies tend not to always light people of color in the best way but the way that this is shot and lit it looks perfect it just looks great uh and and you were the John Constantine. Ooh. Once. Oh my God. Like, oh my God. Right. So they, they choose the scene together. We find out that, you know, Constantine's kind of in, in a valley moment. He's, he's not at the top of his game right now. Yeah. He's really just barely hanging on by a thread. Uh, and, Midnight, he doesn't believe Constantine's claim that there are demons crossing over because all the stuff that Constantine is seeing, getting attacked by the demon, having the demon try to cross over through this girl, it's all weird stuff that doesn't usually happen. It's it's right. almost above his pay grade. Uh, so he leaves after exchanging hostile words with the half-demon Balthazar. Who's Balthazar? I don't remember him. Uh, how do you mean? Like, he's just a guy, he's he's kind of like the devil, he's the bad guy version of Gabriel in this movie. He's like the half, he's the influential half-breed who is the face of the bad guy. Oh, is he the, he's the suit, right? Yeah, with the coin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. ah okay, okay. For some reason, I, I, I didn't connect Balthazar with the coin guy. But yeah, I love it when when villains play with coins. That's yeah. a great uh, villain prop shorthand. Uh, so we, we get that. Uh, now, Constantine, I think, finally agrees to help Angela after she... You know, she investigates Isabel's death further. There's this whole thing where Isabel looks at the security camera and says, Constantine, yeah. uh, and and leads Angela to him. But again, he's really not that into helping her until, until they get attacked by winged demons. Until she frees the spider from the cup and he goes, you know, maybe she's not that bad after all. Maybe she's Wait, a good I miss person. that. I missed that. I tell me tell me what happened. Because it seemed like at first he was like, screw you, lady. I don't want anything to do with this. And then he feels that there's a demon attack coming. And then that's when he makes a beeline to go say, actually, I'll help. Right. And so the, the tiny little piece of connectivity in there is, yeah, she shows up to say, hey, I need your help. And that that moment's awesome when she's like, "I if only you could just point me in the right direction. And just the way with the drink and the cigarette in his hand, he points to the door. Oh, my God. But then on her way out, she frees the spider from the shot glass that he put over the spider and filled with smoke. And to me, 
after she leaves and then the the demons start flying by the shadows of the demons it kind of is like hey this lady is a good person right she's such a good person that these that evil forces feel that they can use her goodness for their own advantage so maybe it's not so much that i should save her but maybe I need to save her to stop something bigger from going down. At this point, he's kind of realizing he is now swirling in the drain and he has to go with the current because otherwise to fight at this, because that's kind of Constantine's gimmick, right? Is that like, he's always just kind of begrudgingly along for the ride and he never has a grand master plan. He's always just kind of making it up as he goes. I think there's also a through line of Constantine, and this is in the comics too, purposefully pushing people away that he does like. Like right. he likes he likes Angela, he likes Chaz, but he is hyper aware of the consequences of what he does, right. and he has this you know sneaking suspicion, and it's a correct suspicion that everyone he loves is going to get killed or damaged by the forces that he has to face on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, so he never lets himself get close to people. Right. Uh, so, so he finally agrees to help Angela. And so they decide, all right, I want to check on my sister Isabel in hell and find out, did she really commit suicide or not? So Constantine goes over to Angela's apartment uh, they set him up to go do a deep dive in hell. I liked how we had this whole gimmick of you got to fill this pot with water and then I'm going to put my feet in the pot and I have to hold your cat because yeah. they're in between this yeah. world and the next one. And the cat is named Duck and oh, you think that's weird. The humor in this movie is it's just so perfect. Like the MCU has the there's same... There's little touches. Right. There's, there's a, a very... Um, I think some of the criticism about the MCU is that all the movies feel the same and they do all have the same general sense of humor, but this movie has its own sense of humor that feels so perfect for it. Like, <laughs> I agree with that. And I actually like the sense of humor in this movie better yeah. than some of the hokey sense of humor stuff that you get in the MCU movies. I'd also say one thing that's unique about this movie is there's not as many needle drops as there is in an MCU movie. Oh, I feel yeah. like MCU movies are fucking obsessed with dad rock. And it's just like, whatever. Like, I don't... Well, also. I mean, Disney care about that. (laughs) Disney owns so much that they probably don't have to pay. You know what I mean? Like they already own the music, so they—it's not like they're um, shoveling out tons of cash to pay for that music. But at this point in comic book movie history, like at this point in the blip, it's they don't have the money for it. So I don't know if they had the money for it, you might've seen more money drop or needle drops, but the fact that it doesn't have needle drops like that makes it a bit more timeless and a bit more. Oh, absolutely. A bit more mature, I guess in a way, but I don't know. I like the MCU's humor. I like the MCU's needle drops, but this movie, yes, DC needs to focus more on just singular 
stories like this. <laughs> like, Right. I think that one of DC's problems is it wants to be like Marvel. Right. And it's exactly, just, yeah. just don't. Just yeah. embrace the fact that you're different, that you're weird, that you're a little more gothy yeah. than the MCU. Like, I think, yeah, as, as my, my dark little heart just <laughs> really gravitates much more towards you know dc and you know image i think is an imprint off of dc those type of comics really resonate with me and i don't need them to be like marvel to enjoy them right uh so he goes to hell he sees that isabel has been damned eternally to relieve to relive her suicide he brings back her hospital wristband which i thought was really cool i liked how it was all kind of curled and corrugated (laughs) and death Um, is this place that's like in constant decay oh i really liked that the the metaphorical cinema uh the the way they visually show the metaphorical aspects of hell as just being this constant disintegration and decay but uh, eternal decay it's it's like the aftermath of a nuclear blast forever forever which was cool so cool yeah i also liked very um you know clive barker yeah um i almost said benicio del toro (laughs) instead of guillermo del toro so did i in the last episode um you know the the del toro family right um but yeah it feels almost like that where you've got these you know headless creatures uh you know the 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 imps or the the devils in hell i thought that it was really well done yeah uh and once constantine gets back he says i'm hungry right (laughs) so they go to the diner and we get the origin story for the movie which is slightly different from the comics but again it's fine It, it works i i will say that i'm one person where I really don't care or I actually like it when movies make changes to the source material because you have to be thinking about, okay, what is going to come across most cinematically? And when it comes to a source, a source, you can't, you don't have that same interiority that a book or a comic can give you. So fuck it, do something new, do something different that's going to play more cinematically. And I think this did where we've got the whole plot of him, you know, he sees things and parents do what parents always do. They make it worse. He, you know, goes through ECT. And when that becomes too much to bear, he commits suicide and he says, no, I did it. I I mm-hmm. actually died. I was dead for two minutes and two minutes in hell is a lifetime. Yeah. So I knew that everything that I thought I was seeing was a hallucination was actually real. Uh, it's and so awesome. he's damned to hell. Both of these movies make use of the contractual comedic element of what heaven and hell is right like this contractual obligation that you have as a human and just these weird rules around it like they both take the the christian mythology seriously but they also are mocking it in a way which i really like oh they they do and (laughs) there's a particular moment where they mock it that i i find especially funny and we'll we'll get to that so (laughs) 
So he's talking to Angela about this elsewhere. Father Hennessy is investigating Isabel's corpse. And is Father Hennessy a half-breed? Are we supposed to think that he's got powers? Because he was literally just holding his hand over these papers and they were talking to him. I don't think he's a half-breed, but he is like John Constantine's not a half-breed, but he does musical stuff. This guy clearly has talents, and one of his talents is is surfing the ether. So it's kind of like mm. it's it's kind of like what he does in the chair, but the chair is a more condensed, weaponized version of it. What this guy does is essentially he's just searching through the ether of evil, right? A bunch of like this guy killed his whole family, this guy killed his boss, this lady drowned her kids, this thing did that. And then once the ether echoes in his head and hits a particular chord, like it's it's like a twitch or, or something internal that we couldn't feel, but he does, it, it tings him. And then the reason why he's got the newspapers is because that has to come out physically in some sense. So ah. he grabs it and then it's like a physical manifestation of the 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 ethereal evil world saying, our attention is diverted towards this lady named Isabel. And so then he's like, okay, so I don't know what this is, but I know that the underworld is buzzing about Isabel. So I'm going to go check that out more. Ooh, and then he yes. checks it out more and we get his little cool death scene. That's right. So he finds the mysterious Mark, but he's obviously getting too close to the truth. So Balthazar, coin guy, shows up and drowns him in alcohol before uh, before Father Hennessy can inform Constantine. But that's okay. He stabs his own palm with a corkscrew before he dies with the same symbol that was on uh, Isabel and it turns into a great cinematic moment, right? Because Constantine wets his hand yeah. with the ice cube and then puts the napkin on it and then lifts the napkin and there's the symbol in blood. It, yeah. Again, it, it's like that scene in the walk uh, or the watchman where the blood gets on the smiley face, you know, yeah. it just, it's so stylized, but it's so perfect for that moment. So that leads them to go back to Isabel's room to look for clues, which they then find by Angela breathing on the glass, which reveals um, Isabel's, um, I don't know, manifesto uh, that's pointing to a prophecy in the Satanic Bible, which I thought was a great point where uh, Angela's like, oh, well, Corinthians doesn't have a chapter 17 or whatever. And he's like, yeah. uh, the Bible in hell has it. And he's like, there's Bibles in hell. And it's like, yeah, from his perspective. Yeah, it was really cool because she kind of is like treating it as like a little bit of a joke because it is funny. Like when when we think of it, yeah, the Bible in hell, that doesn't make sense. But then when he paints it like just so deadpan realistic where he's like, grimly saying like yeah uh revelations is painted a lot differently in in that version and you're like oh shit yeah that would make sense that like everything is the same except the ending right right <laughs> right and so we get uh beeman constantine's uh expert you know every movie like this needs oh, the guy who's so like great. your expert and yeah. beeman is such a great character i loved 
his uh however they staged his his little hideout behind the uh bowling lane the bowling alley is just come on it's, it's so cool he, he it's, lives it's, above a bowling alley and his his little helper guy works his little workstation is behind a bowling alley it's so cool. oh it's it's perfect it's perfect so beeman gives us the explanation he tells us that the mark belongs to Lucifer's son, Mamon, uh, and the prophecy states that Mamon will attempt to claim Earth as his own kingdom, uh, but in order to cross over, he requires both a powerful psychic and the assistance of God. Uh, and then, unfortunately, Beeman gets taken out, Yep. And when Constantine and Angela come back, they find that his corpse is engulfed in a swarm of flies. And I find it really touching that moment where he's like, listen, I know that you don't take this seriously, but we do. And it is a little, it's a very touching reminder that like, yeah, these characters are putting their faith in him to save the world. Like, they believe in him. Like, That's what Beeman says. Yeah. I believe in you. John I really like that. He's a cynic, but these characters are are essentially willing to put themselves in danger because they believe in the greater good. And it, it is a great moment. Like it's it's a good character death. One would say it's actually the kind of moment that uh Gabriel is looking for. More on that soon. So we get some background now on Angela, who reveals that she and Isabel, both clairvoyant and psychic, able to see demons, but Angela was better at masking it and refused to confirm that Isabel wasn't crazy, that this was something that was happening to both of them because she was scared. And it's it's a really sad uh, yeah. character background, but again, it's Rachel Weisz is such a great actress. She just plays it perfectly. Like in a movie that is so ridiculous uh, on paper, I think both Rachel Wise and Keanu Reeves do a great job of selling it and believing the story that they're in. Yeah, like yeah, the the moments that are dark in this movie really are dark. And that is a testament to the acting for sure. I mean, it's a testament mm-hmm. to the whole movie, but yeah, they, they, they know the pitch that this movie needs. I don't know if this is the first of the uh, three or four almost kisses that occur right, in this right. movie <laughs> that are so frustrating to me as <laughs> a romance fan. How fucking dare you? But there are several close moments where it looks like they're going to kiss um but they don't kiss so now we decide that uh angela she wants to reawaken her abilities through a near-death experience uh so constantine holds her down in the bathtub amazing acting again from rachel wise really selling the fact that she's drowning right uh and then she you know goes to hell she in the shorthand of the water and like at this point again, like we're kind of oh, as the roller coaster is, we're doing a little loop de loop because at this point we know the water slowing down. You're right, the the water exploding when he's done with it, her her steaming as she comes out, like all of that is already so well established. 
that at this point we're just having fun with it, even though it's a very dark and intimate moment for these two characters. Oh, that it it looks so great and just yeah, yeah, all of the shorthand, all of the the little visual motifs like that yeah. just work so well. And again, I think this is before um I don't know if this movie predates Watchmen, but it's before the whole like let's slow everything down or put all action in slow motion like the slow motion moments in these movies or this movie I mean is just very well deployed. Yeah. It's not you know, just a slow motion, I don't know, montage like some other movies. Um, But yeah, they use it sparingly and they use it well. So now Angela uh, has been reawakened into her powers. uh, And she, it says that she finds a clue pinpoint. Oh, that's right. So she and Constantine, they go back to the bowling alley and she bends down and she finds Balthazar's coin. Uh, And then Constantine is like, all right, let's go get him. But Angela has to stay in the car. Uh, But she doesn't want to do that. Um, So when Constantine uh, is fighting Balthazar. She comes up to, you know, see how it's all going. Are you winning, Constantine? Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. But that's when a mysterious thing, we don't even see who it is, suddenly takes Angela. And this is the scene that Brett was describing in the beginning, where all you see is Angela being pulled through multiple walls. I'm trying to think of a movie that uh, that is comparable mm-hmm. where this happens, where somebody gets thrown through multiple uh, walls. It feels like a very anime thing. Yeah, there are definitely action scenes where like a character will get th- thrown through a wall or two characters will tackle each other through a wall. Mm-hmm. Or like The Matrix has that cool scene where they're in between the walls and the matrix counteries. And so like, but yeah, just the way that it's shown in the visceralness of her being pulled through and, but there's like a sphere of protection around her so that like, she's not breaking the stuff. The stuff is breaking around her and then he's running through it to try to catch up to her. And just this, like this realization that he can't do anything about it. So all he does is just turn around to go back to doing his job and just, the way that it's shown and the utter helplessness that he has during this scene, it's so great. But also, yeah, the last rights, giving Balthazar his last rights is very funny. But also, it, like, when he says at one point, Constantine says, all right, it's time for one last show or something at the end. Like, he is. He is an actor in this movie. So when your mom said that she didn't like his his cigarette smoking, in a way, it's an act. Because when he gives the last rites to Balthazar, he's selling Balthazar on the idea that he can be saved because the end trick is you have to ask to be saved. So, like, Constantine is this character who is making it up as he goes, and part of that is bluffing people and acting and and portraying something, you know, portraying something he isn't or something he needs to be. So I just, oh, I love that character. Kind of a little bit like El Aura where a character has to like bluff their way into things and make stuff up as they go. That's why I love Elora so much is because I saw Constantine and I was like, this is clearly the most coolest version of that. 
I think you're spot on. So now Constantine has to to go back to midnight, oh convince him to help him because the demons are breaking the rules. And now we get to find out about the chair. Yeah. Constantine gets in the chair and he figures out everything that's going on. He figures out um, how the spear emerged and Angela's location. And, and then we get the nice uh, kind of like uh, that one uh, Rudger Hauer movie. We got to get the big fucking guns. Yeah, we got we got to get the big guns. We got but the also, uh, the the holy water bazooka, right. And the holy water grenades. Um, but like, there's this tiny little play with time travel. You know what I mean? When he goes mm-hmm. to hell to meet up with Isabel, and she turns to him and says, "Constantine." That's like from the the security footage but ah. then when the guy is like eh, like when he grabs the thing and he's like looking over his shoulder that's because constantine is watching him it's this really cool subtle time travel it's not like a set piece it's just like a little bit of confetti that they're throwing out there they're like look at this cool little detail yeah, again, I, I would say that this movie really does have perfect pacing uh. and it uses every single thing. You know, Chekhov's gun, yeah. more like Chekhov's entire house. There's right. not a single thing that you see in this movie that is not used in some specific plot-related way. Every single thing that they show you. So he, he somehow figures out um, where they are uh, and he decides to finally bring Chaz along. The whole movie, Chaz has been begging to be a part of the process, but Constantine's like, no, no, wait in the car. Yeah. And at first it seems like, oh yeah, Constantine's being a dick to him, but there's a really compelling reason why yeah. Constantine doesn't <laughs> want to involve his best friend in his work. But because also it's the, extremely the, dangerous. I mean, this is Shia, this is Shia LaBeouf at his very start of Hollywood career. And yeah, so, just like, post even Stevens. Right. And so like his his youthful energy is is very good. But the way he wins over Papa Midnight and Papa Mid's like, you should take him, John. It's oh just the chemistry between all those characters in that moment. And you're like, yeah, take him. But then like, oh no, you shouldn't take him. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it's kind of like the worst scenario right. that Constantine has been trying to avoid yeah. happens. So we get the cool scene where Constantine and Chaz fight through an army of half demons to exercise Angela. And they think that they've won. They think that they were able to get the demon out of Angela. And they're kind of prematurely celebrating and then this invisible force kills Chaz by slamming him into the ceiling over and over again. And we get a pretty touching death scene where Chaz says, you know, Constantine, you were right. Yeah. It's not like the books. But also, um, yeah, I like that um, that whole buildup of like Constantine and him kind of getting really intimate. Like, I know that you said this movie sort of, what is it like straight washes straight washes him but that moment where he's really intimate with chaz in that scene it's like it's not sexual but it is intimate and the way chaz kind of is like he's his crutch and he gets him going back on the chant but the way that 
okay again this is what makes a brett movie a brett movie is that it is very silly and and seem chewery and and kind of laugh out loud funny when he says it's very it's playing with the genre when chaz says you're right it's not like in the books like you could laugh at the movie for that you could call that so bad it's good i guess but for me all of that is for the rewatchers because when you're rewatching that moment, you're just like, oh, bring it on, bring it on. Because the very next thing he does, roll up the sleeves and then into the light, I command thee. It's so fucking badass. It's so badass. It's so badass. I love that part. And just the way they build up to it, like by using the genre as as a like tool you know what i mean they use the the hokey cheesy genre clicheness as a tool to then go like nope we're fucking going heavy metal into the light i command thee boom gabriel fuck yeah awesome the way she swoops in and puts her foot down on him oh it's oh it's it's great and i like uh <laughs> i like gabriel's costume change for this moment too so the perfect. the the white looks really cool it's almost um, rock and roll-esque <laughs> they also they curled tilda swinton's hair so she looks even more angelic yeah. uh and and we learned that gabriel was the bad guy all along they wanted to unleash hell on earth to weed out those that they they deemed unworthy of God's love. Uh, and then Gabriel casts Constantine from the room and prepares to use the spear to cut Maman free of Angela, alien style. Uh, and meanwhile, Constantine decides that he's just going to pull a Hail Mary, literally. Yeah. <laughs> he kills himself. He kind of talks to God and he's like, hey, God, if you're out there, now's a good time to come do something. But right. he's, he's not really answered. So he's like, wait a minute. Instead of calling upon God, actually, the person who's most likely to do something about this is the devil. So I'm going to call out the devil. Which he does, and Lucifer himself comes directly to collect Constantine's soul. As Constantine said earlier in the movie, how would you feel going to a place where you know that you put in half the souls that are there? Yeah. So, you know, Lucifer's got this grudge yeah. uh, against but also, Constantine. Again, Jimon Hansu, he's he says that line once earlier. But because Jimon Hansu says it, he's the one soul that, or you're the one soul he'd come up here himself to collect. Jimon Hansu has this gravitas about him. So that then when Peter Stormare comes in and he's so slimy and grimy and perfect, and then he says it, it like it's amazing to me that they only say it twice. Cause this is kind of like a, um, uh, uh, Snake Plissken, like, I thought you were dead. Like, yeah, I've been hearing that a lot lately. It Did seems you like... you think just because you killed me <laughs> that I was dead? Oh, it's so perfect. But yeah, this is, without a doubt, my absolute favorite portrayal of a devil in any movie, anywhere. Peter Stormare is perfect. It's kind of the exact opposite of Elizabeth Hurley, where she yeah. gets a ton of costume changes and she's very sexy and, and cool. You get this kind of 
Euro trash guy yeah. in a white suit. And then I really liked that he's barefoot, but his bare feet are covered in like, hell goo. Yeah, like tar. And so like he's yeah, trying to pitch. Por- he's trying to portray himself as someone who can be trusted. He's well dressed, but he also clearly looks like someone who cannot be trusted because he's got like his his face has got those veins and he looks sick in his eyes and clearly he's not well fed or nutritioned or and he's so grimy and his body is like full of these little ticks and snarls and like like yeah so he just oh it's so perfect Oh, he's great. And he, you know, gets in a chair to have yeah. a nice little tete-a-tete with Constantine. Yeah, a little chit-chat, and... little small talk. How's the family? Yeah, Constantine spills the beans yeah. on on the sun and says, hey, you gotta, right. you gotta handle this because these guys are getting ahead of you on this whole hell on earth thing. Yeah. They're releasing the beta before it's been right. tested. Uh, your your and- son's in the other room. Boys will be boys. He's with Gabriel. No accounting for good taste. Like the devil's like, yeah, he's evil. What are you going to do? And then he's like, with the spirit of destiny. Uh, wait, excuse me. Baking powder. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. So then we get the showdown between Lucifer and Gabriel and Gabriel being the angels like, yeah, I'm going to smite you. I'm going to I'm going to get you, Lucifer. But we find out that uh, as soon as Lucifer lets forth a little hell blaster, a little hellfire blaster, whatever have you, Gabriel gets hurt their wings burn off because gabriel is no longer in god's grace but also Uh, when they don't have divine protection yeah when he sends maman back to hell he's visually he's mirrored in the pool and maman goes down but oh i like like that too it's, it's a rewinding of isabel jumping off of the thing Right. So first of all, that visual of oh, Isabel jumping off of the thing is super awesome. But it is in a way like um like John Constantine sort of hitting the rewind button on that and going like, no, she did kill herself for a good reason. In a way, you can kind of say, like, you know how the internet's kind of come around R5 from Star Wars? R5 mm-hmm. is the droid that Luke picks before he picks R2. And R5 explodes himself and kind of like self-destructs so that R2 can continue and go along with C-3PO. In a way, Isabel makes that same kind of gamble. She's like, no, I'm legit going to kill myself so that I can specifically go to hell so that I can let my sister know that Constantine needs to do something. And maybe I'll get saved, maybe not. But she, she throws out just as much of a Hail Mary as Constantine. Which That's is a really super good scary. point. Yeah, but the the visual again, like this movie is so well made. God the loves that kind of shit, though. Of Maman being rewound up the thing where so it's undoing the suicide is such a cool visual. This movie's so well made. I love it so much. I you know these are things that I get from somebody who's been a longtime fan of this movie. I think that this is maybe the third time I've watched Constantine, and even having seen this movie three times, I didn't get all that. 
So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to get it fleshed out here because it really shows you how much attention to detail was paid in this movie. There, again, there's absolutely nothing wasted. They used all parts of the Buffalo. <laughs> uh, so now we get Lucifer. He's, you know, he's fixed everything. He's going to take Constantine's soul. He's ready to take his trophy. But as he's dragging Constantine away, Constantine is surprisingly heavy. And I like that there's like that ripple in the tile floor because he can't lift Constantine up. Why? Uh, Well, because, oh, wait, wait, sorry. I totally skipped over the whole point of this. Uh, Just like Bedazzled, Lucifer loves giving out wishes, apparently. But this time he just gives one. And Constantine does the right thing. He asks for Isabel to be granted entry into <laughs> heaven. His, his Peter Stormare. What about her? He's like, her, what? Like the delivery. Yeah, he's like, who cares? Like, like he's he's got a one track mind. Like he's <laughs> so he wants that. He wants Constantine. Uh, but Constantine, he makes this sacrifice. And now his soul belongs to God because there's just nothing God loves more than paradoxical sacrifices. Slow zoom in on Peter Stormare as the light hits him. The sacrifice. (laughs) Oh, I thought that that was excellent. (laughs) And then my favorite moment is when they they sort of satirize the the rise to heaven. And... Constantine, as he's going up to heaven, gives Lucifer the finger. I I thought that that was a great moment of comedy, yeah. sold really well by Keanu Reeves too. It, um, like you're absolutely right. This could be one of those things where you like, but doesn't Constantine know that by sacrificing himself, he's going to go to heaven? Like, no, I think you're absolutely he right. He forgets in that moment. It's not that he forgets, but it's just that he. He truly does make the sacrifice. Like he, it is a true moment. However, since he is then allowed to go to heaven, it is not above Constantine to then give the devil the finger as he's on the way up. Like that is such, I don't know Constantine from the comics because the only comics I've read are the ones that you've given me, which I've read after I've seen this movie over a hundred times. But like that's a movie where you don't have to know anything about Constantine. You just go Constantine giving the devil the finger as he goes to heaven is such a Constantine thing to do. It is. It absolutely <laughs> is. And while I don't necessarily think he's done anything specifically like that in the comics, it's absolutely right. part of that attitude. Right. So the devil is not going to take this shit. He intervenes. He brings Constantine back to life. He goes into his chest and takes the cancer out of Constantine's lungs. I like the whole mirroring where Constantine can finally breathe just as Angela's waking up and breathing. Uh, And Lucifer's like, let's see if you're worthy of hell yeah not he doesn't if you're get a worthy to chance. go to heaven yeah he doesn't get a second chance to live he gets a second chance to screw up yeah exactly <laughs> exactly which i think is so in character for yeah. lucifer that again it makes this really short appearance so heavy and so great uh and so we cap off the movie with angela and constantine 
leaving the now human Gabriel, who's like, Constantine, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> Which great I thought term. was really, I thought that was, I thought that that was great. Uh, and then we get another almost kiss, but this time it was from Angela's side because you know what, Connie? Karma's a bitch. So you can't, you can't almost kiss a girl that many times <laughs> and expect for her to kiss you in the end. You're going to get what you deserve which is an almost kiss feels pretty shitty, doesn't it? Uh, but yeah, so they don't, they don't end up kissing, but they do make it, they imply that they want to keep seeing each other. Yeah. They make it a very adult kind of like, yeah, we're not going to have time for a relationship, but we'll get together a few then. And well, you know, maybe we'll like it together, but yeah, it's, it's a very kind of adult. We're going to go our own separate ways, but we still care for each other a lot kind of thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that is Constantine. And then uh, ahead of its time again, you wait for the end credits and we get Constantine setting his uh, lighter on the grave on the tombstone of Chaz, who then whoosh, his wings open. Chaz grabs the lighter as an angel and flies up into the night sky. So we get a little end credits teaser of like a cool character moment. And Chaz, even though he dies... Like, he gets to become a badass angel character fighter. So in a way, he kind of gets what he wants, which is he's now on the side of good fighting the armies of hell. So it is it is sad, but it's not too sad in the world of Constantine. I missed that part. You see, I, I never stick around <laughs> for the credits. Darn it. I'm missing out on the good stuff. Yeah. Ahead of its time, Constantine. Any final thoughts before I ask the question? No, my final thought is the question, which is I love everyone in this movie. I think this was my introduction to a lot of characters or to a lot of actors like Jimon Hansu, Peter mm. Stormare. I mean, I knew Peter Stormare from like Fargo and stuff, but like this was my introduction to a lot of people in in a very cool sense um so a lot of these characters are or a lot of these actors are these characters to me but my crush is since we're talking about the devil my favorite line that peter stormare gives is what do you want an extension like the way he <laughs> says it is again it's so grimy and perfect and whatnot but He's saying an extension like he hates the like he was so close to getting Constantine, right? Like he was so close. He had him in he had him. He had him right there. But also knowing Constantine, he's also kind of saying, what do you want an extension? Like, please let that be it, because if it's an extension, all I have to do is bide my time until you fuck up again and I get you. But so by saying an extension, he's like, please take the extension. He's disgusted by the extension, but he also wants Constantine to take the extension because he knows Constantine's a tricky guy. So he knows he's like, listen, I know that this is probably part of your game. What do you want? Let's just say an extension. Let's call it what it is. Okay, I'll give you an extension. And then Constantine's like, no, I want the girl to go to heaven. And he's like, all right, then the self-sacrifice. But just like, just that teasing of the line extension. It's, you want an extension. An extension. <laughs> oh yeah, he says it European-like. He's He's repelled by it, but also he wants it, but he hates it, but he has to. Like there's, it's, 
you you have to see it to know the levels of the the layers that Peter Stormare puts on it. It's it's something that like is written in a script, but only a perfect line reading could really bring out the the juice of a line like that. So um Peter Stormare the devil totally my crush. How about you? <laughs> I'd have to say for me it was Beeman, the oh, the yeah. weapons and uh yeah. exposition guy. I just he likes think that bugs. That character was just so well done and served his purpose perfectly. Yeah. yeah, he knows a guy who knows a guy. He's very cliche, but he's again the the line delivery and the character portrayal. But you got to have setting. that character in a movie like this. It, like, yeah. of course, Constantine has a guy who gives him all his gadgets, you know? And he pays and him with trinkets. You know what I he's mean? He's bowling alley Alfred. Yeah. It's very, um, it's kind of like pick up on South Street or something. It's just this I world. I love that movie. It's a I love movie. Sam Fuller. Yeah. Pick up on South Street is this movie that's a noir that follows a character as they go on this shady adventure where other characters all have their own motivations, but all the other characters are so well defined by their, by their character introduction, by their, like there's that one guy who's constantly eating and then he takes the money out of the guy's stuff with his chopsticks. Or there's the lady who's a workaholic type lady. Like, the characters in this movie are so well defined and this movie is propelled by its characters oh i love this movie so much constantine man and according to peter stormare as of a year or two ago tweeted out on halloween get ready constantine 2 has been confirmed so excited but with covid and whatnot like you know anytime they announce a movie that doesn't mean it's going to get made but yeah constantine 2 needs to get made (laughs) It's on IMDb. Yeah. I also have heard rumor of an HBO Max Constantine show. Yeah. So we'll, we'll and see Peter, where things um, go. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, he had that that um, Justice League Dark script, which was I've never read it, but I think it's out there for people to read. Uh, I've heard that it's an amazing script. Oh, I would see that movie in a heartbeat because uh, I'm pretty sure that um, Swamp Thing is in Justice League Dark too. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Anyone, I'm I'm sure they'd throw a Swamp Thing and probably Ghost Rider in there and something. Yeah, or is Ghost Rider Marvel? That probably wouldn't work. Never mind. I have no idea. Throw them in there anyway. (laughs) I only know about Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Marvel and DC can can do a movie together when hell freezes over. Cut to Constantine <laughs> and Ghost Rider. Constantine on the back of Ghost Rider's motorcycle, lighting his cigarette with Ghost Rider's firehead. I like that image. I can see it already, yeah. So how was it? How was it turning this into a rom-com? Ooh, uh, you know how I said last episode that this was a two-floor elevator pitch? I feel like this one's a one-floor. One floor? All right, I got you. I got you. <laughs> it just, I, you know what the problem is? Is I know too much about this character. I think that if the agony of influence wasn't there and I was coming into this movie only seeing this movie, but I've seen this movie I've read the comics. 
I will later talk about DC's Legends of Tomorrow, where Constantine, played by Matt Ryan, has an arc. Um, so I'm already so familiar with all these stories having to do with John Constantine that putting him in a romantic comedy setup was just excruciatingly difficult for me. Yeah. Uh, what about you? I had fun with it, but I I basically just have soft pitches. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I imagine that yours will have a little bit of detail or a li- I say a little bit of detail. A lot more detail probably than mine does. Uh, and I could use a little help with my ending. So uh, right. if you don't mind, I'll, I'll go first here. Sure. Uh, so I called my movie Constantine, the Devil, and Me. All right. So John Constantine has a problem. The devil will not leave him alone. Ugh. And in this scenario... The devil wants to hire Constantine for a job. The devil wants to reconnect with Lilith, former first woman, queen of hell, who oh, yeah. maybe we'll maybe we'll say that she dumped the devil and was like, I've had it with this. I want to get back on the wheel of reincarnation and, you know, live my life outside of being defined by my relationship with you. And can I guess who you're thinking who would play Lilith? Yes. Guess. Eva Green. Ah, oh. the obvious choice. We mention her almost every other podcast. Oh yeah. This, this Eva podcast Green. is definitely the unofficial Eva Green fan club. Yeah. Eva Green. I want to date you. Call me. <laughs> um, yeah, so Lilith has been reincarnated multiple times, and we'll say that this time she's been reincarnated as Angela. And okay. we get this whole thing where Constantine and the devil are trying to figure out where Lilith is. And I will say again, because in my story, I want to recognize the fact that Constantine is a bisexual character. Mm-hmm. I would, I would want there to be some kind of sexual tension between Constantine and, and the devil. Like, you know, the way where, um, in a broken hearts gallery, uh, she's describing her breakup. Uh, with the new guy, I'd love to have something where Constantine is commenting on the devil's relationship with Lilith and making it funny. Or, you yeah. know, even as the devil really wants to reconnect with this lost love, he's also kind of like, you know, Constantine's really charming and he's kind of cheeky and I like yeah. it. Uh, but also when Constantine... <laughs> meets Angela, they also have chemistry and end up sleeping together. So now you have this triangle where everyone is attracted to each other. The devil and Angela are attracted to Constantine. Constantine is attracted to them. He doesn't want to tell the devil that he slept with his ex-girlfriend because that's going to make their relationship weird and he might get angry or damn him to hell. So uh, now we, yeah, we just have this ridiculous love triangle that's going in all directions. And I'm not really sure how it would be resolved, but I just, uh, 
I, I want it to be just a funny situation where Constantine is having to choose between all these people who are attracted to him while objectively knowing that they are bad for him and an obstacle to his recovery as a person. Yeah. No, yeah, you could have a lot of fun. This this sounds very much like a bedazzled kind of thing where like he's going on a bunch of what are essentially dates and he's having a great time on the date, but because he's on the date with this person, something bad happens over here that, you know, because he chooses to go have fun here, he then has to pay the price over here. But because it's a rom-com, we can make paying the price pretty light and fluffy. Right. And I like to get some humor out of Angela yeah. not realizing that she's the queen of darkness. Like maybe she is a very straight-laced and devout person. And this revelation that she is actually Lilith, the first fallen woman and consort of Lucifer <laughs> is just like absolutely mind blowing. And, you know, once you have an experience like that, maybe you want to sleep with a guy who's not exactly good for you. And Constantine just happens to be there. Right. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a very half-baked idea, and I don't know how I would want it to be resolved. When I did a, a sort of uh, polyamorous love triangle for my Carrie rom-com, I just had them become a throuple. Uh, right. I don't know if that's the solution here, or if maybe eventually they both dump you know what? I think that would be the perfect ending of this movie where it's like right at the point where Constantine is ready to become more emotionally involved with Lilith and the devil. They dump him at the same time. And yeah. we end with Constantine at the bar, drinking bourbon, smoking a cigarette and wondering how he got here again before somebody sits down next to him at the bar and he starts chatting them up. Elizabeth Hurley sits down at the bar and starts <laughs> chatting him up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how I'd cap it off. Okay, there's yeah. the ending. Constantine gets dumped. Very nice. Yeah, a downer, like always with Constantine. But a good downer because he wasn't meant to be with them anyway. Exactly, right. exactly. <laughs> right. No, Constantine is at his best when he's heartbroken. I love it. I love it. All right, I didn't have a name for my movie other than Constantine, but my movie is going to be a sequel to Constantine. Oh. And so what we're going to do is we're going to establish life with Angela, as played by Rachel Weisz, and we're going to establish the norm. And the norm is that they're both supposed to be taking it easy at work, but they both don't take it easy at work because they can't. Because they're like superheroes, you know what I mean? So it's like when they come home, they go like, so how did you break the rules today? Oh, well, I broke the rules by, I only stepped one foot in hell today. How about you? Oh, well, I I actually went into a mega drug bust and like, you broke the rules more than me. So it's like a cutesy, they belong together, they're having fun together, but also like they live in a dangerous world of like evil. Then right off the bat, Constantine is killed. So he dies. Angela then has to go on the process of saving him, which we know from the beginning is something that is completely within the realm of possibility. Now, here's where we get a lot of fun genre stuff. I'm imagining that Angela doesn't know the world of Constantine's, like, 
underworldly LA as much as she knows the criminal underworld of LA. But because she knows the criminal world of LA, she's capable and able to hold herself up against the people she'll meet in the demonic underworld of LA. So again, she has to play a character who's kind of bluffing her way into things, who's kind of being tricky and who's using people just to get information out of them and being tricky and stuff. But Constantine in the background, I think it would be really fun if Keanu Reeves did a little Buster Keaton, Jackie Chan type physical comedy stuff where he can't talk to Angela. So he has this kind of Wallace and Gromit, almost like Paddington in his family kind of thing where like stuff is going wrong around Angela and Constantine behind the scenes in ghost form is like being a silent, you know, grommet type Buster Keaton character. Who's like keeping things light and fluffy as Angela's going on the quest to fix him. Um, And so then Constantine can then also go off and do his own stuff. And when he does, he can talk to the people in the underworld. But I'm imagining Gabriel is kind of like his plucky sidekick wannabe where where Gabriel would be following him around going like, hey, can I tag along? Hey, remember me? Hey. And like, you know, Constantine is like, go away. But Gabriel's trying to help him. But also Gabriel is like doing his own stuff. So it's, you know, it's but it's like almost like Eddie Murphy in any Eddie Murphy movie where he's a tag along like donkey or something like it's like an annoying, lovable tag along, but con, you know, we don't feel bad when Constantine sort of is constantly like, eh, just get out of my hair. Um, he pushes away the people he loves. It's right. perfectly in character. Um, and so then we can also have Chaz. Chaz can help out Angela and like make an appearance. I'm thinking Angela goes into some kind of nightclub that is, you know, whatever. And then maybe Chaz is like a barback, but he's like super excited to be barback because he's just happy to help out any way he can, just like in the first movie. But then he gets one moment where like maybe the bouncer gets taken out and then Chaz has to like step up and be the bouncer. Cause even though it's like, you know, the bouncer who gets taken out can be someone big and tough. And then Chaz comes up, you're like, Chaz doesn't stand a chance against this bad guy, but he beats him up. So, like, then Chaz gets promoted to bouncer. So it's like a happy little moment for him. When they go to Papa Midnight to go talk to him, he can be, like, the relationship marriage counselor, therapist person, because he can talk to both of them. So there can be a little bit of, like, well, tell her I said this. And then... um, He's the Whoopi Goldberg character in this movie. Right. And then we can have a fun little scene where maybe Angela's at a party and she meets a character called Bruce Wayne. And then Constantine, who's hanging out in the back as a dark spirit figure, but, you know, like a lovable Buster Keaton type, can see John can see Bruce Wayne from his point of view. And it looks like a very bat demonic kind of figure. And so, like, we can play a little bit around with the comic books and and stuff like that. And then at one point, Constantine has to go buy something from the devil. So the devil can play this very grimy used car salesman type figure, like Peter Stormare, you know, touching all the cars and getting this slime over Slapping the hood. Yeah. <laughs> this bad boy fits 20 holy crosses in the trunk or whatever. <laughs> and then God has to be in the movie. Who's going to be God? I've got the holy trifecta for you. 
Ready for this? God is going to to be portrayed by three actors. One, Tom Cruise. Because is he the father, son, or Holy Ghost in this scenario? It's up. It's it's a it's a spectrum. It's a constant meandering. One of them will play the father for for one line and then bounce over to the son for another line. It's it's just like gender. You, You can't pinpoint it. Right, the characters can be anyone at any time. So we have Tom Cruise, Donnie Yen, because Ooh. I love myself some Donnie Yen. Sonia and I just saw the new Donnie Yen movie, Raging Fire, and even at fifty plus years old, just like Tom Cruise, he is kicking ass. And then for my third person, who's going to play God, Julia Louis Dreyfus, because I'm still ah. in love with Veep, and I'm still in love with Julia Louis Dreyfus, who is also over fifty years old and absolutely. She would be a great it. Satan. I no, think that she God. could. Well, I mean, she's God in this movie, right. but you know, we're talking about somebody cool and sweet yeah. and funny who would be a, a fun actor to play Satan. Yeah, I could, I could totally see Julia Louise Dreyfus as Satan she being is a lot great of fun. In Veep. She has so, and she's many, a great God too. Like, ugh, yeah. But then, so all of those characters, we can have fun with Peter Stormare talking with um, Keanu Reeves and all those characters. There can be lots of hijinks. And then Elizabeth Hurley can have a little cameo as Constantine's ex, who's a psychic. So like Elizabeth Hurley and Rachel Weisz can have a little moment where she's like, oh, you know, Constantine used to do this with me in bed or something. And Rachel Weisz can be like, well, he does this with me. And she's like, he does that with you? Ah, like, you know, and it can be cute and funny. But then at the end, um, you know, they... They, they they resurrect Constantine. They get together. They all learn a lesson. It's a good movie. It's a sequel. It's fun. And it can kind of be like Back to the Future, where like we can have those time travel elements where they go back to moments in the first movie, but then we kind of have fun with them and make it a Buster Keaton funny movie. So, and, you know, John Constantine, Keanu Reeves, very physical. You know, John Wick, very physical. So... That's my Constantine rom-com sequel. Oh, I like Just it. A I like studded sequel. Oh, I like that you kind of mashed up Ghost with Constantine and I can totally see it. Yeah. Uh you've got a, you've got some classical roots there. I mean, you know, Orpheus and Eurydice, it's it's a yeah. whole it's a whole thing going back going into the underworld to get your loved one. It's a very satisfying story. Right. So I, I think you did a great job. I, I'm so jealous. You did, <laughs> you did really well. Uh yeah, but it, it wasn't plot. I had I have no plot. It was just all character. This movie is this movie is like one of the quintessential movies anyone needs to watch if they just want to get into the most economical way to build a world in a movie. Yes. This movie yes. is so great. You're right. Very well And they paced. did it well in built. 120 minutes. They didn't need more. I, I will say, again, shots fired at the MCU. Your movies are too damn long. They're so I, stupid long. I agree, but I disagree. I feel... I. For the sake of conversation, I'll agree with you because this podcast is going a bit (laughs) long. But yeah, no, you're right. This movie is exactly two hours and not a single second of it is wasted. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, before we get into our love bites for the week, just want to remind you folks to follow us, subscribe to us, rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then you can also check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Necromancer Pod. Oh, yeah. And you want to email us, you want to talk to Brett about Halloween 2 or <laughs> Constantine or me about almost kisses, email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Now getting into Love Bites, our recommendations for the week. What you got for us, Brett? All right. Well, you know that Keanu Reeves is the internet's favorite actor, right? Yes. Especially I think Reddit. that that is confirmed r slash keanu being awesome well people probably know that keanu is an actor and that he acts in a lot of great movies but did you know that he's also a director and that he directed he directed this little movie called man of tai chi and it's a movie starring him and this guy tiger chen tiger chen is a guy who plays a tai chi apprentice who starts to use his Tai Chi for self-gain, and he goes to tournaments to essentially make money to save his dojo, but he gets brought into the under, under grimy underworld of essentially what is Mortal Kombat with all these different martial artists playing all the... And, like, the guy who was in the raid, Iko Weiss, plays a small little cameo. So, like, oh, it's nice. just... It's it's a tournament movie. It essentially is Mortal Kombat. It's a tournament movie, and it's directed by Keanu Reeves. It is 90 minutes of pure genre. Fun. Oh, you said the magic words, 90 minutes. Yeah, it is so great. It's called Man of Tai Chi. If you're a fan of Keanu, he plays a bad guy in the movie, and he chews up the scenery. It's so great. But um, yeah, the, the choreography, the martial arts choreography is awesome. Like. You come for the choreography, you stay for the choreography, you recommend it for the choreography. But the story is a very Eastern morality tale of Tai Chi, um, yin yang, good and evil. It's a part of all of us. It's We're a part of it. So it's a very good movie. And the martial arts is fantastic. Man of Tai Chi. Weaponized Tai Chi. <laughs> Awesome. I'll yeah. I'll have to check that out, especially 90 minutes, perfect movie length. And I, I'm totally here for uh, Keanu's directal, directorial debut. Yeah. <laughs> How so I am going to stick to our theme here. Well, uh, you know, last last episode, I recommended uh, a comic. This time, I'm going to recommend more Constantine. You know, you got a little taste, and you're like, I need more of this character. Well, we've been discussing it all episode. Hellblazer, read the comic. You'll love it. That's my first recommendation to you. And that would be the thing that I would do first. Second a show I mentioned, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. This show, it's a CW show, and it's just as corny and silly and campy as any other CW show, but Sorry. I like it. Yeah. I I like Legends of Tomorrow. It's 
again, I, a very silly show, but the premise is that these side characters from other DC shows, you don't even have to watch Arrow or Supergirl or whatever the other DC superhero shows are. All you need to know is that these this is the B squad. Yeah. And they've been assembled because they're so unimportant that if they become time travelers and leave their timeline, it will have no impact Aww. on the timeline. So so it's kind of a joke. Right. Where it's like they're called the Legends of Tomorrow, but they're actually the opposite of Legends. <laughs> and the first few seasons are, are, you know, good to get to know the character, but it's around season three or four that Constantine becomes part of the regular cast. One of the things that I think is really fun about Legends of Tomorrow is that every season is kind of a new story arc because they keep blowing up the timeline. They keep introducing new problems every season that they have to solve. And I think it's the third or fourth season that something they do causes a bunch of demons to be released from hell. And Constantine shows up and is like, oh my God, what did you guys do? And he becomes part of the crew trying to help solve these uh, solve these monsters of the week. And I think that unlike the show Constantine, where Matt Ryan came from, which was kind of a mixed bag, the arc that Constantine gets on Legends of Tomorrow is really satisfying because, again, he is recognized as being bisexual. One of the major plot points in his introduction is that he's trying to rescue his old boyfriend, Desmond, who's been banished to hell. Uh, and, you know, he has, you know, multiple romantic interests, men and women in the show. And I think that Matt Ryan does a pretty good job evoking the Constantine that people know from the comics. Of course, right. it's within the kind of silly, corny lens that is Legends of Tomorrow, but it works for me. And I, I would recommend it to anyone who's a good sport, doesn't take themselves too seriously, and just wants more Constantine. Yeah, that's me. I want more Constantine. And I don't take myself too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sign us off, Big Daddy Constantine. Uh, Do you believe in the devil? Do you believe? Hey, sure. Do you believe in the devil? Yes. No, you say no. Oh, no, 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 I don't. Well, you should because... Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.